Hello, my name is Stephen Kuhn, the author of Unleash Your Humble Alpha, and I met Pablo on Clubhouse. You should hook up with Pablo as well, because he's going to pull the best out of you. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, In my walks, every man I meet is my superior in some way, and in that, I can learn from him. This means every single person you've ever interacted with has done something slightly different than every single other person, and therefore has something to teach you, and you, my friend, have something to teach them. This means every conversation you have is both a chance to learn something and a chance to make an impact. Every room full of people you walk into is both a library and your stage. And the better you get at getting to know people, the value they each inherently bring, and how to share it with others, the greater the impact you can make on the world. My name is Pablo Gonzalez, and I've created a system called the Relationship Flywheel, designed to create impact through relationships at scale. And this podcast is a living document of how to do it. So hit subscribe right now. If you want to learn how to get to know people, get them to know you, and build a world-class network. Some episodes will be interviews, some episodes will be regular calls with people building rapport, and some will be tactical advice to teach you how to build your own relationship flywheel and achieve anything you want. Now smash that subscribe button and let's get connected. Welcome back to the Chief Executive Connector Podcast. I am your host, Pablo Gonzalez, your Chief Executive Connector. And today is going to get really, really interesting because this is the first connection that I've made on the Clubhouse app. And it happens to be with a fascinating dude that's been leading teams from the battlefield to the boardroom and turning around multi-million dollar businesses for 20 plus years in nine countries to the tune of 500 million in revenue. He's also lived in mountain solitude as a shaman sage of sorts, been the personal bodyguard of Mick Jagger, and is a best-selling author that is preaching the message of honesty, integrity, and transparency, and embracing that great leaders live within the mindset of a humble alpha. Welcome, Stephen Eugene. Coon, welcome, my friend. How are you, man? Boom. Awesome. Great introduction. Thank you so much. I love it. Love the energy, man. Let's do this. Dude, I'm nothing if not a hype man, man. That's, that's, that's <laughs> my thing. <laughs> so, Stephen, man, I, you know, I was telling you before this, right? I start every podcast, my thesis on human connection, add value or share a vulnerability. I'm sure we're going to add a ton of value here. But if you can start to contextualize your, your humanity to our friend that may be listening in her ear right now. What is something that you're struggling with or something you've struggled with in the past? Well, you know, I, I, it's an ongoing thing for me. So, you know, I've, I was in a war. I was a combat veteran. Or I am a combat veteran. And the PTSD that comes from, you know, seeing your buddies die in your arms and wounded civilians and things like that, that follows you for the rest of your life. So, you know, I get up most days and, you know, I, it would be easy to say, I'm not going to do this anymore, you know, but it, I sort of visualize and program myself to acknowledge that. And, and say, yeah, okay, you're here. I get it. Let's embrace it. But you're not going to get me. You know, so every, every, every day, I don't want to say it's a struggle because it's almost become a routine to deal with it, but it's there every single day, if not every single night when I dream. So, you know, and it just comes to you, you're walking down the street and a truck will go by in here in Hungary with the exhaust fumes and it'll smell like diesel. And if the sun's going down and it smells diesel, it's immediately set back to Iraq. You know, so these, there's, there's always immediate sort of, travels back to my in, in into my mind into into memory so it's something I, I 
I struggle with it sometimes, you know, sometimes if I don't catch it and I sort of ignore it, I, like if you can't, you can't ignore it because it'll come back even stronger. Yeah. You know, so it's a fine line between ignoring it and embracing it and sort of acknowledging it. And so sometimes I might slip and be like, okay, I don't have time for this. I'm going to move on. And then in the middle of the day for no reason, boom. Wow. And yeah. you get some really heavy stories about that first war in Iraq. And I, and I think about the idea that the term PTSD didn't really become part of the vernacular till much later. Has, has the, has the average education of the general public with awareness of PTSD helped or hurt you in your healing? Uh, well, I'm, I'm a very, you would call me a loner, I guess you could say, you know? Okay. So I deal with a lot of stuff on my own and work through my own, like plant medicine and herbs and things like that. But when I was in the military, PTSD wasn't even a thing. It wasn't even a thing. I remember, I remember when I was, you know, I got called by the VA I don't know, like 20 years after I got out and they said, look, you need to file for disability because you you have what you call a 60% disability presumptive. I was like, what is that? They say you have a 60% disability, whether you're checked or not, because you were at a certain place at a certain time in Iraq. And they said, look through your files. And so I looked at my, my medical files and I saw something in there that said possible PTSD. This was written in 1990. I never even heard of PTSD until like 2000, you know? So it was something that was known, but not publicly known. And I think what's really brought it to the surface is, you know, you have you have domestic violence PTSD, you have trauma PTSD, of war PTSD. I think that's what brought it more to the surface is that maybe the soldiers led the way, and other people said, "Yeah, I, I feel that too," and that that sort of made it more 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 public. So as far as my healing goes, I don't know if you ever be healed from PTSD. I mean, some people say you can be. I haven't, can't say that I have, but I, I definitely deal with it. So I, I deal with it in my own way. Man, I'm really glad that you contextualize all that, right? Because I, so my wife is a survivor of sexual abuse when she was younger. And also she's Venezuelan. So she's lived this whole kind of like slow motion revolution that has happened. And we were in a conversation with a veteran and she was saying something about having PTSD about Venezuela, right? Like about the riots and all, you know, like the the civil unrest. And I'm like, dude, you really shouldn't use that term. Like that's a soldier. Like he's had it. She's like, no, no, no. that's a real term yeah. that applies to everything. Yeah. So it's really cool to think that, you know, within all this pain that the that the military has led the way to kind of a deeper understanding of something that affects so many people, man. And, and it's a lot of people because this is the deal, right? There's no measure. There's no like, okay, when you, when this happens, this is, you get PTSD. It could be the smallest thing compared to me going to war, or it could be something much bigger than me going to war. You know, so it, it isn't, it's, it's, everyone has, it's all relative. So I was marching in the victory parades in, in 1991 in Washington, DC and New York city. And I'm watching, marching down New York city, uh, fifth Avenue ticker tape parade. Amazing. Like you see on TV mm-hmm. and like you used to see on TV and uh, this Vietnam vet's like, Oh, you don't know anything. I was in, I was in Vietnam for two years. You guys were only there for a hundred days. And no. Uh, or in war for hundred days. And I said, man, that, that was my Vietnam, dude. I don't want to know what it's like to be worse. Are you nuts? You know, I said, but come here and march with us. And he was like, what? I said, come march with us. I just brought him into the ranks. You know, he wasn't wearing a uniform or anything. And he was, he was crying. It was amazing. Wow. It was really amazing at uh, such a time, but that's how, you know, you don't engage when it comes to these kind of things. You can't engage because even if, even another soldier, I, I, I know a soldier who didn't go to war and he has full blown PTSD. And that's because Every single one of his crew members. And so he, he got out of the army and two months later we were in Iraq and his, all of his crew members died. So he's like, 
I should have been there. What I'm a, I'm a loser. I mean, you know, survivor guilt, right? Yeah. And so it's it, it's so widespread and so different for every single person. You know, it's I mean, you can literally almost find PTSD in, in almost anyone for a car accident, even whatever. You know. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense, man. Dude, you said all right. So really good transition there. I love what you just represented there. The idea that when somebody is yelling at you, generally they're it's them that's in pain. The way to deal with it is not to snap back. It's to bring him close, man. That's something that I very, very much believe in. And it makes me think of your principles, your hit principles of honesty, integrity, and transparency. Can you tell me a little bit about how you develop this, this methodology, these principles? Well, you know, it's funny because everything was intuitive with me. I I use my intuition for many, many years since I was probably... I don't know, even in the military, I use my intuition In boot camp, I use my intuition. That's how I got through so much crap, <laughs> you know? And I think that, well, HIT, first of all, stands for honesty, honesty with yourself and why you do and say what you do. The transparency part is how you step into the world with that, with that honesty and it becomes your ongoing reputation. And of course, integrity is the byproduct of that. And integrity means doing what you say you're going to do, not doing what you say you're not going to do, and then owning your mistakes and making them better. For me, that's a very simple, you know, definition of what uh, in, in integrity is. But that, you know, that's the core basis of of everything that's in the book. How I live my life. I mean, very, very honest to myself. If I feel something in my intuition, like I had a, an offer in in Australia to be a COO for this powerful energy company, three hundred thousand dollar, you know, transfer bonus just to move over there and stuff, Australian dollars. And you know, and I, something didn't feel right. My intuition was like, no. My wife's like, Gold Coast Beach. Oh my God, let's go. I'm like, no, no, something's not right. And I turned it down. The guy absolutely flipped on me. Just absolutely went choleric and just you know started cussing me out. And I was like, well, that was the reason why, I guess, right there. So it, it, it justified and validated my, my decision. And so that's where the honesty comes from. Like, what, am I doing this for me or am I doing it for the money? Am I doing it because I want to do it for my wife for the beach? You know, it's like the, the brutal honesty is so difficult. And people ask me all the time, well, how do you know if you're being honest with yourself or not? You know, it, it, for me, the measure is this. If I'm fearful of saying no, or if I'm fearful of making a decision, then that's probably the right decision. <laughs> you know, the harder it is, the more right it probably is, you know, either way, plus or plus or positive yeah, or yeah. plus or negative. That makes sense, man. So as I, as I think about your, you want to give us like a five minute snapshot of, I mean, it's like your life has been so epic, dude. Like, right. So I, I I'm just gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll let our friend into the conversation right now in the sense that you went from the military to working in nightclubs in Europe getting in the underbelly of Europe, you know, becoming a valuable person there, starting, starting health clubs, right? Like building these like big corporations to then this like spiritual awakening kind of path. I don't, I, I don't know what I'm missing there. Right. But like, can you, can you tell me right now, you just said you took an offer, you know, you're entertaining an offer to be a CEO for a big company. Can you, can you give me a snapshot of who you are right now and what you're working on right right now. Sure, 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 sure. So we just brought out a book in September called Unleash Your Humble Alpha. And that's basically culmination of my and my, my business partner's uh, life. And it's based on five principles. And that is HIT, of course, life enterprise, investing in relational capital, creating space and quality of life. Right. So we can go through those in a minute. And those five things are literally how I live my life. And what we do is we, we wrote the book. It's not a how-to book. It's a what-to book because I, we can't tell you how to be. We can't tell you how to act. We can't tell you how to, how to dream. We can tell you, tell you what to do so you can dream, so you can act, and so you can be who you want to be. And so that all came from my entire life. And my life led me to the most amazing experiences uh, that uh, it's just incredible. So I got to hang out with the top people of the world and hang, you know, just 
and, and was respected by them as well as someone at their level. And there's ways to go about that to make sure that happens. I'm sure you know many of them using their entire name instead of just, hey, Bill or hey, Bill Clinton. You say, hey, William Jefferson Clinton. And then they look at you like, okay, this guy must know me. You know, that kind of stuff, right? And you're just playing around with this as I went on. It was all intuition. But then when I had to write the book, I, I didn't know how to get it out because it was just who I was. It wasn't a structure that I used. Yeah. But putting that into a structure through the interview process with the, the, the editor really got to the point where now I know exactly what I'm saying and how it, where it came from. Before, I didn't know where it was born. Now I do. I didn't know where Creating Space was born. Now I do. So that process of writing the book was incredible. So right now, what we do is we help business owners who just are pivoting. So either they, they've exited their business or they're changing businesses or an executive who's changing positions. And we help them find that new purpose. And what that means, it sounds kind of airy, but if you, if you figure it out, I, you know, a guy, a friend of mine, he just exited, you know, he got just under 10 figures for his business. He's like, freedom. And two months later, he was like, dude, I'm, I don't, I don't have, I don't, I don't know who I am. Like a because purpose. This whole, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This whole time he was his company. He yeah. was his position. He was his title. And suddenly they have all this money and they don't know who they are. And I know it sounds like, oh man, if I had that money, it would be different. No, without purpose, nothing has meaning. Right. If you can't share what your purpose is with the world through activities, through impact, it's just, it's like going to the Grand Canyon by yourself. And you're like, man, what? You, you know, it's, I, did, were you really there if no one saw it? You know what I mean? It's like, you know what I mean? <laughs> I get it, man. I, listen, man, I'm, so I'm in this, it's funny, man. I, I, I feel like I, I'm supposed to be having this conversation, right? Like I'm, I'm in the middle of launching this partnership. I've just gone back. I've, I've spent the last three years completely pivoting out of my old world. I was the construction world where I was a fortune 500 executive. Then I started my own green building company. Then I got acquired by a, by a, by a big contractor, a hospital builder, one in houses, director of sustainability, became a business development guy, big person in the community of Miami. And once I realized that I had this vision for community creation for business development, and I just couldn't let it go. I, took a wild veer into my own life to, to really just get into my own integrity, right? First thing was taking this partnership with a questionable startup up here in Jacksonville and leaving Miami and just being able to want and approve this thing at scale on the internet, as opposed to just in a community. Then after a year and that partnership not working out, but my methodology working out, just snapping off the branch and starting from zero in 2019. And I've been iterating through, right? Like it's been very intuitive. I've been iterating through like you, I started at some point trying to describe the stuff that I was doing intuitively. And that's, and that's really, you know, the reticular activator hits. So you start really right. seeing it and you start really, once you name it, you start able to do it. And now I'm at the point where I've proven my concept as a service on a really, really grand scale, a grand scale. I have a new partner. So we're going into partnership and I'm thinking about all the things that you're talking about and building this business and I keep coming back to, you got to be really, really clear on your mission and vision, and you got to be really clear on core values. And then the rest of the path doesn't really matter, right? It's just like, what's the rule book that you're going to use? What's the destination that you're trying to find and, and, and go for it? Cause you have to have that purpose. You nailed it. And, and pur purpose, purpose does one thing. It creates certainty. And once you have purpose and, and it's, it's aligned with your identity and your core values, then it doesn't matter how you get there. Because you know you're gonna you're gonna get there with integrity, right? You're gonna get there through into in, intuition and purpose. So you're gonna get there. So why worry about how? And that just releasing of the how, and also means releasing from the outcome of each step that you make. 
Mm-hmm. You know, a lot, a lot of people, oh, I got to close this contract. I got to close this contract. No, it doesn't matter. The only thing we control is our intention in a conversation, in, an, in, in a situation where we want something. We only control our, our, our intention. So you focus on adding value by solving problems. And in every call that I'm in, it doesn't matter if I'm talking to somebody on stage or whatever, that's my only intention. And when you do, when you let go of the outcome, there's no pressure. So you create in space around everybody. You show up wholly and fully for the person in front of you with no, no preconceived notions, cookie cutter solutions. And you're just there to add value by solving problems. And they're like, they're sitting there going like, okay, when's this guy going to start asking me to buy something or whatever? They just don't get it, right? And what happens is then they totally release and you create that mastermind, that third entity that comes up with ideas and solutions that you never would have come up with on your own, either them or I. And so it's a fabulous thing. And you just live life much easier when you live with no expectations. Now, either you have an expectation and you verbalize it like in business, or you don't have an expectation. There's nothing in between. It's like being pregnant. Either you are or you aren't. There's nothing in between, right? <laughs> you know, so, you know, yeah. and so the, the, that, that's sort of how I live. And man, life is amazing that way. You don't worry about what anybody says or what they think or how they, because our thoughts are 99% of what we react to are the thoughts about the things that happen in our life and not about the things that happen. So here's the thing that happened. Here's our thought. And we react to that. We don't react to the thing that happened, right? So you have a car accident, right? And the first thing you think is, I'm going to be late for work. I got to pay for this. It's going to be expensive. I wonder if the guy's mad. My wife's going to kill me. Like all these things you're, you're thinking already that haven't even happened yet, right? Just drop those and say, you know what? Let me deal with this. What's going on right now. And the whole world changes. It literally changes right in front of you. I, I just could not resonate with that any better, man. Like I, I, for, <laughs> I'm one of these guys that has always braced for the impact and, and I'm, and I'm, listen, I have a, I had an older brother that's eight and a half years older than me. I know I can take a hit, but for whatever reason, I know when, when the hits come out, I'm like, ah, like I'm the guy that whimpers, right? <laughs> like that makes, that makes the sound. And it's, and it's really been, I think surfing taught me it, man. Just like the idea that I'm not really in control in this short-term scenario. All I can do is ride this wave kind of thing. Yep. When did when did giving up control of the short-term for, long, for a long-term vision start to really sink in on you? What was the aha moment there? Well, you know, I feel like I was always like that. You know, I really was. I, I Everything I ever did, and we were talking about this the other day with Lane, my business partner and co-author, you know, as a, as a young person, you don't have any intuitions. You just go, right? Then as you get older, it sort of builds up and then you start thinking and analyzing. And then you slow down with that intuition and start an, overanalyzing everything. I remember when I got my MBA in the UK, I, got, I left there. It took me two years to get my intuition back. They literally stole my intuition, right? Do not do anything unless you analyze it a hundred times, you know? And so I think I was always like that for some unknown reason, maybe it's because we moved around a lot, but I feel like everything I do whether it's a mistake in someone else's eyes or not, it's always a part of my path. And I know it sounds wishy-washy and everyone says that, but it's truly the case. I never get upset. I mean, I, I left my Rolex in a sunbed one time. Didn't even upset me. I'm like, ah, whatever. I guess I wasn't supposed to have it. You know, my wife's like, what? You know, and it's just whatever. It's supposed to happen, man. If it happened, it's supposed to be. Everything is as it's supposed to be, right? We can we can believe that it should be different, but that belief is typically it should be different because it's bad, not it should be different because I deserve it. You know, there's, there's a big difference there. I would say, if you want something to be true, just believe it. And, and that also means if it's, if you want it to be, if, if it's going to be negative and you believe it, it will be negative. Right. So it's, it's all about that. You know, get the left and right side of the brain. The right side of the brain is very logical. It's always talking to you. That's that inner dialogue. You suck. You're bad. You screwed up. You did this bad. And the, the left side of the brain is there for visualization and creating a new future, living as if it already is. It takes work, man. It takes work. It takes a lot of work. Listen, yeah. I, 
I attribute, I attribute that natural tendency for me to lean that way because I lived in three different continents as a kid. And by that, you know, I, I, I settled in the U S when I was nine years old kind of thing. And I think it's the, the outsider insider perspective of I've, I've always just very easily seen the world through somebody else's eyes. Cause I was always an outsider. Yeah. That adaptability, adaptability. Right. I mean, you know, I've lived in nine countries and it's like, I just show up I'm like, all right, I'm here. Deal with it. You know, it's, it doesn't, Oh, I can't speak the language. I don't know the culture. What kind of food do I, it doesn't matter. Just do it. Just, just don't even think about it. Just roll. Yeah. It's, there's always going to be, it's like when I spent, when I lived in the mountains, I, I went up there with no food. I wasn't even worried. I'm like, whatever. You know, I got water. There's a creek right there or a, a brook. Fine with me. Whatever happens is going to happen. And, and a lot happened. So. How do you, as, so as I'm hearing all of this, man, I, I hear somebody that's just like born with natural intuition and adaptability muscles, or at least the framework of it, right? Like LeBron James was born with some like predisposition to right. be like kinetically intelligent. You were, you were born with a predisposition to be intuitive at what point in your life did you start really investing into sharpening that tool? I think it was, I think it was the, the, when my, so I, so I wrote a book in German about my, my time in the first Gulf war and it came out the day the Iraq war started in 2003 and they put me on TV in front of like 30 million people and a live show. And they asked me a question, Mr. Kuhn, do you support this war? And I had never been asked that question before. And I thought like, oh my God, what am I going to say? Because I'm in Germany, they're against the war, but I'm American, so I got to be for the war. And then I thought, wait, 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 wait. What do you think? Like, right? What do you think, Stephen? It's not about what they think. And that's when HIT was born. Like, I got to be honest, man. I owe it to the world to be honest. I owe it to myself to be honest. And I think that's when I really started saying, this is the right way to go. Because when I started doing that, I was on TV for a year, three stations or four stations a day, every day. And readings, like I would travel all over Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, the doc region, and just do readings out of my book an hour or two at a time. And, and it was all flowed from that because I was like, no, I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to be honest to me and to my values and not worry about what other people think. And literally on that show, uh, there was a photographer there. He said, oh, you're the typical American schizophrenic. You against the war, but you're pro-America. You know, I was like trying to get at me immediately when I went with, with who I am. Immediately, you get attacked. Immediately. And I was like, no, man, you, I, I, I don't expect you to understand me. You can't. You know, you weren't there. It's like you, you can't explain combat. You can't. You know, so and that sort of shut him down a little bit without being rude, you know. So, yeah, it, it was a hard journey because, you know, you show up in the corporate world. I was a freelance um, director, so I would get hired into different corporations to turn them around to see what, whatever, you know, director of operations or whatever I did. And there was the biggest one was 3,500 employees, nine, nine countries, 87 locations. And I was pretty much in charge of everything. And, uh, you know, they wanted me to be a certain way. And from the get-go, I said, look, I have to be true to who I am. If something doesn't sit right with me, I will not do it. And I will change it. And then and the, and the, all the directors were like, no, you can't do that. And the CEO was like, no, do it. I, something about you, do it. And I changed that entire company culture. We did Tai Chi 2 o'clock every single day, the entire office, wherever I went. We're doing Tai Chi for, it was like a three minute thing that we made up that, that, re, that, that matched our credo, inspire myself, inspire, inspire my team. I inspire my members and I inspire the world around me. And we lived that for real. We lived that for real. And that changed the culture of the company to this day. You know what I find so fascinating about it, Stephen, is the idea that right now with YouTube and podcasts and all, you know, like, and Brene Brown in the, in the universe, you know, like it's, it's real easy to be like, yeah, vulnerability, transparency, all this stuff. But the fact that you were doing this in like 1993, 
as a, as like an alpha dude really blows my mind, right? Like I, let, let me ask something else, man. So you're on German TV, you've been in the first Iraq war, you're getting, you, you, you're seeing the downside of the second Iraq war, right? Already before it happens. And you're feeling almost, I, I get a sense of, dude, I'm out on this limb and this dude who I stepped out on a limb for just attacked me. <laughs> like what a dick. Yeah. <laughs> so what, how did your perception of what it is to be American evolve as you were in Europe yeah. during that second Iraq war? Well, you know, I've been in Europe ever since. I've been in Europe since 1993 as a civilian and since 1986 in the military. And there's something about Europe. So Europeans are more, in, more in, in introspective. So they look at themselves more. They're, they're more spiritual than we are as far as the non-religious spiritual side goes, right? So they, they, they use plant medicine. They use herbs. And, and in Germany, there was a law until recently that they had to use natural medicine before they would even allow it to prescribe, you know, narcotics or whatever. And so they're always looking at themselves. How do they, they run a lot? They're out, you know, trekking through the woods and things like that. So they're, they have a lot of time for ret- retrospective. You know, remember the shops would close at one o'clock on Sundays, nothing was open and you were forced to spend time with yourself, that kind of thing. So I, I think through that, you know, I was like, well, I guess I have nothing that I can't go shopping. I can't go grocery. I can't do nothing. So let me go for a walk in the woods like everybody else is doing, you know, and you just come to a different place when you're in your alone time with yourself. And so that started, you know, seeing like, well, why, why don't I like being like by myself? And, and what is it about? Why do I feel like I have to show that American, like, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And after a while, it's like, actually, I don't have to show it. It's not, not even who I am. That's just a, a you know, part of me, but that's not who I am. Mm-hmm. And so when the war, when the war broke out and people started talking to me and they're like, look, Steve, man, we're scared. You know, this is, this is people are going to die. Like they don't even look at it. Like we have to get the aggressor. They're just like, wait a second. Yeah. People are going to die, man. Do you, do, do you understand? I mean, like this, this innocent people, civilians are always the biggest casualty. You know, and you're sitting there going, wow, yeah, because before I'd be like, oh, that's collateral damage. We got to save. And then you're thinking like, what's the real meaning behind all this, right? And then that, that's where you start digging deep. And, and you just start saying, you know what? I, I agree. There's no need for this. There's no need for this war. You know, there's six essential human needs, right? And those six essential human needs will solve every interpersonal problem on the planet. You know, and when you know those it just makes all these arguments look ridiculous. Wars look ridiculous. And you know they're contrived and you know they're 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 for other op- other reasons they're being fought and stuff like that. So and, and that's way past that first point that I just talked about about realizing years later I'm I'm looking at these six essential human needs. I'm like, man, this could solve every problem on the planet. You know, so when you the more not as they say, the more you know, uh, so the more you learn, the less you know. You know, you you too wrote wrote that. I love that because you know, you might learn about like I I learned about meta metaphysics. And suddenly a whole world opened up to me. I'm like, I don't know shit. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't know anything about it. what the heck. I thought I was smart. Now I'm not, you know, that kind of thing. So it's this always digging in deep in different areas, new areas. Like when I, when I get on a plane or something, or I go somewhere, I don't get a magazine that I would read any other time. I get something that I would never read mm-hmm. just to, just to sort of stimulate my brain and read other things, see other things. You know what I mean? Like just yeah. always, always pushing it. I love it, man. I love it. I've been, I've been really hot on this whole at the end of the day, my macro mission is to prove that the other is more of an asset than a liability, than a, than a threat, right? Like I, I like I think that that on on a, on a very human level, that's the problem I'm solving for. I think we're densifying. I think people different than you. I like I live my life by the quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson of every man I meet is in some way my superior, and in that I can learn from them. And what you're saying is very 
very true to that, right? Like the more, the more outside of the box, you're willing to accept, accept something without judgment and approach it with curiosity, the the more it's going to enrich your life. And there's an easy, there's an easy model for that. Excuse me. There's an easy model for that. The more it pisses you off, the more you should back off and say, why does it piss me off? Because something, something that they're saying is a reflection of you anyway. So, and that's, I mean, the more upset you are, the more nerved you are or irritated, you should say, why am I irritated? Irritated. And when, when I was a leader with all these people, if someone irritated me, I would really back off and go, okay, what is actually irritating me? And it would be like, oh, he's not listening to what I say. He wants to challenge me. Okay, that's my issue. That's he has a right to do that because he maybe he sees something better. I need to listen. Maybe he's got a solution that will save the whole company. You know what I mean? You know, so to be that, mm, I would say almost selfless in a leadership position, at least in a corporate leadership position, being selfless enough to say, you know, you might be right. And I would do that in front of everybody. You know what? That's a great idea. We're going to adopt that. Give me a draft. Let's make this happen in front of everybody. And they're like, wow. And people, and I, I remember talking to, I coach a lot of people and I still do. And they go, Stephen, if I, if I give them credit for things, aren't they going to see me as a bad leader? I said, a leader isn't a thing, right? It's not that outside thing. It's right here. It's inside. It's inside. It's the power you have inside that you share with others. That's leadership. You follow your intuition. Like people talk about following a leader. You have to follow yourself first to be a good leader. You have to follow your intuition first, your core values, your principles. That's where leadership comes from. It comes from within. You know, and then that presence that you have through following that is what the leader, sh- the, the, the people see as a leader on the outside. So it's not a title. It's not a position. It's not a course. It's not all this kind of stuff. I love it, man. I love it. Like I, that's really brilliant. What, so let's dive into, let's dive into the, the concepts around relationship capital. Can you, yeah. can you tell me kind of like the outline of what your relationship yeah. capital concepts are? Well, let's start with the beginning. So as we said, hit, we've explained that I've explained creating space after creating space is investing in relational capital. Investing in relational capital is just like investing in financial capital, except you're guaranteed a return. <laughs> right. And that, that means taking it to the next step. You invest in them by leaving them in a better place than when you met them. You invest in them by collaborations, joint ventures, but truly and honestly caring with genuine care. Like if, if I meet someone on the street, I really care. Like if there's a problem and I want to help them, I really care. Otherwise, I wouldn't help them. It's just, it's just that thing. You can't do it to get a result. You do it because that's who you are, right? And then you have life enterprise. Life enterprise is we're the CEO of our own life enterprise, just like CEOs of a business enterprise. We are we answer to the board of directors and to the stakeholders. Board of directors is our family, and the stakeholders is everyone else in our life. And again, what do we do? Our job as a CEO is to keep the company healthy and profitable, right? So how do we do that with our life enterprise? Well, we take care of the stakeholders and the, and the board of directors by elevating them, leaving in a better place than when you meet them, right? Treating them well, always being that person who solves problems and is uplifting and elevating. Why? Because when I dictate in my direct line of impact with positivity, I'm ensuring that my life is always positive. So people want to say like, oh, we got to change global warming. We got to, you know, and the first question I ask when someone tells me about global warming, I'm like, do you recycle? Do do you, do you turn the water off between soaping up and showering off? Do you turn the water off when you brush your teeth? No. Okay. Why don't you take care of that direct line of impact first, right? And start changing your world so that people can see that radiant value that you create and they'll start changing their world. That's the only way to change. You can't change from the outside in. It's got to be from the inside out. Totally agree, man. Totally agree. So you went through, like, when you're talking, I'm just like, yeah, I love this guy, right? <laughs> so, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to, you're making it in a good way. You're making it really hard for me to like parse out the stuff that I like, because I like everything yeah. you're saying. Yeah, okay, thanks. Um, in the, 
in the investing in relational capital is just like financial capital, except you're guaranteed a return. I can love it, bro. Like I, <laughs> like I, you know, to me, when I first started talking about networking, I'm just like, guys, you know, we, we, we talk about diversification and all the things that we invest in. Why wouldn't you want to diversify in relationships? Yeah. Right. Like oh, I, I, love I, I love thinking in relationships as far as capital investment. Yeah. That's actually great. I never thought of that. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks, man. I might, might have to add that to the next book. <laughs> I'll give you credit for it. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm happy to. I'm happy to give you a blurb. Um, t- tell me about. Tell me about when you first started realizing that the formula for getting in, because you've gotten in with really famous people, yeah. right? Like, yeah. tell me how. Tell me how you started realizing that the formula for getting in is leading with value and phrasing something in a way that it benefits the other person, not you. Well, you know, there's every situation is different. So, you know, I I knew you know about Mick coming to Berlin without his bodyguard because he got stuck in in, in London because he hurt his back. And I said, well, he has a problem, right? He needs a bodyguard and I need it. Plus he needed a driver. So I was both driver, bodyguard. Number one, I was American combat veteran. I could carry a weapon and I knew Berlin like the back of my hand, right? And I was trained. So, and so I said, okay, I'm just going to approach him. So I waited for him to get to his hotel. and, And I knew everybody in the hotel business because I had a cocktail bar at the time where on Monday nights, all the restaurant and hotel people could come and drink for half price, right? So it was called gastronomy night gastronomy night. And so I walked in like, Hey Steve, Hey, how's it going? I walked into the lobby. I'm waiting for him to come down. He comes down. I go, Hey, Mick Jagger, I'm your new bodyguard. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I had no expectation, right? No wishes or wants, no preconceived notions. I just showed up, just showed up. I mean, I heard your bodyguards in, in London. He stayed and you need one. And here I am. He goes, well, who sent you? I said, I sent me. He's like, let's uh, CJ, talk to CJ. So I talked to CJ, his, I don't know what he was assistant. And he said, yeah, I have one question for you. And you got the job. And I was like, whoa, oh, here we go. What is it? And he goes, do you know where to get the best German sausage? And I said, I do. He goes, you're hired. I was 400 bucks a day. And <clears throat> what I did there was, and I realized is that I, I, I provided them with a solution that they could not say, that they, they could not refuse. And so from that point on, when I met you know, Olivia Newton-John, I did the same thing. I took her, her company with a partner to six countries in, in Europe. And then when I met Andrea Bocelli, same exact thing. You know, they laughed at me. When I said I wanted a retainer to work for them and commission for the, the you know the bookings that I got, like no one gets a retainer in the music industry. And I said, look, I, I understand that, and this is how I work. It's it's up to your discretion if you want, if you want to work with me or not. Like it didn't matter to me. And they're like, okay, we'll give it a try. And I worked for them for two years with a retainer. Even my buddy, who's a manager of a very famous band, he's like, what? You got a retainer? Nobody gets a retainer. And it's like, yeah, dude, I didn't even ask for it. I just said that's that's how I work. I didn't say you have to pay it. I said, that's just how I work. It's, it's, it's your discretion. And because I'm not pushing, because I don't have an expectation, because I don't want it, it'd be nice, but I don't want it. I keep that out of my mind. I take all that stuff out of my mind, put it in the toolbox beside me. And if I need that toolbox, a tool from that toolbox, I'll take one out, but I don't leave them all in my head and fire them at them at the same time. You know, you can't do that. So basically when I would go to a networking events, I would walk into a room and because I know who I am and because I know what I'm capable of. And that's because I'm aligned. My identity and my purpose is, is, is heading towards certainty. I walk into a room. I sort of own it. You know, like people realize when I walk in the room and I will go around and, and greet everyone. As many people as I can. How you doing, Stephen Kuhn? They say, oh man, I love your glasses. I collect them too. These are my black ones. I got red ones too. And I just, bah, 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 bah. oh God, I love your tie. Oh, I'm going to switch. You know, just whatever. Just whatever it's, is real that I see that impresses me. And to be able to see what impresses you that's real, you have to be conscious, consciously aware. So, you know, I would talk to you and say, oh, oh, that, oh that duck, what, what brand is that? I've seen that before. You know, I would just, whatever, you know? And so you make your way around the room. Everybody's going like, who's this guy? Like, does he, is he, the, does he run? Did he, is it his event? You know, like they don't even know. And you don't do that 
because you want to and you want to invoke a reaction. You do that because you freaking enjoy it, man. You want to spread that love. You want to spread that joy. You want to spread that elevation. And that's what I do. And then I just, I just, people come, I can literally go in a corner and stand by myself and then people will come to me. It's just, it's just, you get to that. And then keep the conversation about them. Quit talking about yourself. No one gives a shit. No one cares. As soon as you say, oh, well, what do you do? Well, I have a family business. It's been around since 1825, you know, that kind of stuff. And the guy's looking over your shoulder like, oh God, how do I get out of here? So Donald Miller uses the PPR, problem, product, resolution. You probably know it. Which problem? What's the product that solves that problem? And what's the resolution? It takes 20 seconds to say, and then you fire back at them. What do you do again? And you just keep it about them constantly. And then you said 20 seconds of words. They talk for 10 minutes and they go, man, I love talking to you. You're such a great yeah. conversationalist. And they walk away and you're like, damn, okay, yeah, and there you go. And then they go, and then here comes the magic. After you get around the room for a while and you meet everybody, you start seeing synergies like, okay, this guy does manufacturing. This guy needs a product. Hey, Bob, did you meet Stan? Hey, Stan, come here for a second. This is Bob. He does this and you do that. Why don't you guys talk? And they're like, oh my God, this is great. Next thing you know, you're the, you're, you're the matchmaker and you're new, just like everybody else. And people are like, Jesus, guys, Steve, do you have a card? And then this is where my European part of me hangs out, right? So I have a card. It has my name and my email and that's it. No name, no company, nothing. It's just my name and my, my email. And if I want to give somebody my telephone number, I'll be like, okay, once I'm going to give you my telephone number, give me a holler and I'll, I'll write it down. And, and what people are like, why do you do that? It's so cheesy. Actually, no. Cause I don't want everybody to call me. Most people want to want a card because they collect cards because they think that's how you make contacts. That's not how you make contacts. Those who get my telephone number are those people that I connected with for real. And so take the time to connect with people and you'll get your telephone numbers. That's how it is over here. Right. And so I'll write the telephone number down. They're like, Oh man. And you hear him talking like, did you get C's number? I got his number. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I had a guy when I was in a conference one time, it was a military influencers conference in Orlando, Florida. I'm standing. There was like 10 people around me. I just got done speaking. And there was a guy from far away. He's like, and I was like, he said, like, oh, no, no, it's okay. And like two months later, he called me and he said, you know, he, he called me and he said, man, I wanted to go up to you, but I was too nervous. There's too many people around you. It was like, you know, it's so weird that people are, are look at the outside, outside things instead of taking the power from the inside. They're looking at the outside, letting that outside energy stop them, man. Don't do that. You own your own presence, man. It's not, it's not what you are. It's who you are that matters. I don't care what you do in life. If you don't know who you are, that presence is only due to a title or a position. And that will fall one day. And when that falls, you're going to feel empty. So I can, I can, you know, I can suggest highly to everybody to read our book because that's exactly what it's about. You're going to strip away the titles, the positions, the, the company sort of identity you have, and you're going to find out who you really are. And when you feel that, my friend, you will feel like the most powerful person on the planet, if not in the universe, like an oak tree in a, in a, in a forest of saplings. And that's an understatement. Hmm. I'm letting that one sink in because I love how you you had me all riled up talking about your networking strategy. And I'm picturing you being the James Bond of networking with your secret card and you're like, I'll write my number <laughs> with my Montpellier pen over here. And then and then you and then and then you came out with this, you know, oak tree analogy that's got me feeling really warm inside, man. But I love it, dude. I, like I love, I love the idea that you're not, you're not your title. You are your mission, right? Like yeah. you are your purpose, you are your integrity, yeah. that person that you are. You are that person you're trying to become and the thing that you're putting out into the universe and what you're seeking, man. And it's it's been such a major part of like what's made me happy, you know? Well, and, and that's where that visualization comes from. You're always, you're always already who you want to be. 
Yeah. And of course that develops every year, every month, every day. It develops, develops, develops because the more you're learning, the less you know, right? So you keep going. You're always who you're going to be. When you come from a place of integrity, when you come from a place of true identity, you're always who you're going to be. So you walk in there, you have no fear, no wishes, no wants. You're not worried about what people think. You just do you. And let's face it, no, no, nobody can do you like you, right? I mean, it's just, it's just the way it is. But how many people do you know that are actually themselves everywhere all the time? Litmus test, litmus test. If you run a company... If one of your employees would go to your apartment or your house or wherever you live and be a fly on the wall, would they even recognize you and vice versa? Would your partner recognize you in the office if they were a fly on the wall? And most people say, well, no, of course not. I'm a, I'm a leader at work. And I'm a, dude, leaders don't take off, man. Lead, leadership's internal. It's 24 seven, brother. That's just all there is to it. You know, your leader, leadership has to do with integrity, identity, right? Purpose and certainty. That's leadership inside, right? Core principles and values. Do, do you not have them on the weekends? Right. I mean, right. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. hundred percent, man. I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant, man. So let me ask something, Steven, like you are this super fascinating guy, right? You've, you've done all this stuff. What, how did we meet and what made you want to be my friend? Right. Like how, how out of like all the people that you're like interacting with on the internet, like what, what worked there? <laughs> like, did you sense this? Like how, how do you go about that? Yeah. I, you know, it's like, I don't like, I have, I don't know almost 8,000 followers on clubhouse. I think I follow a thousand maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just go through and I look, I feel the vibe, you know, I, I feel the vibe of the picture and what it means and what it represents maybe. And I just click and then I write, I don't know. You know, it's, it's, I don't question it. I don't analyze it. It's, it's, it's truly intuition. It's and intuition. I mean, you know, we hit it off. I mean, Jesus, you know, it's so, so, I mean, it's, it, it works every time. Like there's no one that says, Oh, this is weird. You know, it, it just doesn't happen that way to me. I don't, I don't question it. I don't analyze it. It's, it's really important not to do that because when you analyze, you're going to start looking for something. As soon as you start looking for something, what happens? Yeah. You get those, those blinders on and you're looking at one, looking for one thing instead of being open to what happens. Like every person you meet, every situation you're in can be a door to a whole new reality, a whole new reality. It could be your next partner. It could be your next business partner, your love. It could be anything. It could be anyone. I would tell my employees that back in the day. This is why you're going to be nice to everybody that walks up to the desk or anybody you talk to. You don't know who that person is. One, you don't know what they're going through, right? So be nice and be kind, right? Two, you don't know what they can do for you, possibly. If they love what you do, you know, they could hire. Matter of fact, I had three receptionists, amazing girls, amazing girls, and a very famous designer took them because they were so good. I was like, can you believe that guy? He's a member. He can't. I said, man, how awesome is that? Yeah. How awesome is that? What does that say about you? What does that say about how we're working here? Isn't that amazing? And number one, number two, they're getting to do the dream or the job of their dreams, man. You'd be happy for them. You know, and so that was the sort of the culture that I fostered there is like, we're here for others. And if you get something out of it and something comes out of it, you freaking deserve it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Listen, man, I, I, I say it all the time. I'd rather be a kingmaker than a king, right? Like I, like I, I love being the conduit for somebody's dreams yeah. because they will forever, you know, nobody ever bats a thousand, man. At some point, everybody needs some help. And the more people you help around you when you're doing well, the more that when you need it, somebody's going to show up. And I had, a, I had a right, right before this, I was on with a client and she said, Steven, you know what? She's like, I'm, I'm a consultant. I'm a turnaround consultant. That's what I do. But it always turns to coaching, right? It's more like accountability and coaching than it is consultant. And she said to me, you know, like 50, 60% of my clients are women. And she said, you know, Stephen, I don't actually need you like to, to understand business, but I, I need you 
to be my reflection. Like I need you to be there and hold me accountable for what I already know. And then I'm not taken into action. And I said, you know what? Good news. That's how it is for everybody. They might not, they might not admit it, but that's how it is. That's what a mentor and a coach does. Right. And so that's why it was, it's so pleasing for myself and Lane with the humble Alpha leader program is we have these people exiting or pivoting CEOs and business owners that come to us and are like, Dude, I just, I just want to like the one guy said, I want what you have. Like, what, what is it that you, why, how can you be like you are? And the other people are like, I just need someone to hold me accountable. And I think you understand that my, my kind of business, you know? So it's like that. It's a fine line, but no one ever says I need coaching. You know, no one ever says that, you know, these, at these higher levels or whatever it is and um, exiting or like, I have all this money. I don't need your coaching kind of thing. I have a coach. I have you know, a couple mentors and a couple coaches. One of my coaches is a female billionaire. She's amazing. Right. I mean, I'm just saying the B because it's for some people that would mean that she's accomplished something in her life. Yeah. 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 So I, I, you know, it's, and, and she's Canadian and she's Pakistani Canadian. It's like, Oh wow. This woman is freaking amazing, man. And I learned so much from her about myself. You know what I mean? Like it's, I said to her, and this is funny because I said to her, we were talking and she said, well, this, we got to do something together. You're, you know, we got to do something together. And I said, yeah, I got to do this and that. And then, you know, I'm not at your level yet. And she goes, stop it right now. I was like, what? She goes, don't ever say that again. You're exactly at my level. We could, we could walk to a boardroom with Elon Musk right now and dominate. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I know that, but I would never like say that to myself. But when she said it, it was like, boom, you know what? She's freaking right. You know what I mean? So that's why coaches and, 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 and uh, mentors are so important. It pulls out of you what's already in there. Yeah, I get it, man. I get it. Like I'm uh, that is, that is the message I preach as well, right? Like to having, the voice inside your head is generally the least kind voice you have around you. So you need oh, yeah. these other voices around you. That's to, that right side talking to you on the right side. Yeah. Of the brain talking to you. <laughs> totally, man. Totally. Man, you've mentioned it a couple of times now, right? That you have this, you're surrounded by women kind of, you said you have a lot of clients that are women. You have mentors that are women. I very much believe in that, man. Like I, I, I grew up with an older sister. I, I, I've, I've always just kind of real, I'm Hispanic, right? So yeah. seeing the, the bullshit double standard that exists in the Hispanic world between men and women has always just like opened up my eyes to all that. Have you always been somebody that lends himself to the female energy as a balance? Is it something that progressed in life? Right? Like at one point I had a problem having woman friends and now I, I find that I have very healthy relationships with women. Yeah. No, I, you know, I've always gotten along with, with everybody, you know, it's just, I think women confide in me. I actually asked this question yesterday because I get a lot of female clients and probably 60% of my female clients are, are women of color. Mm-hmm. And then this one woman of color, who's not a client, but a very good friend. And I said, why, why is that? Like, why, what I'm not marketing. I'm not trying to do, I'm not doing it on purpose. And she said, cause you make us feel safe. Mm-hmm. I was like, what do you mean? She goes, you're not like talking to us. Like we're, you know, hot or sexy. You're not talking to us. Like we're, we're an object. You're talking to us like you would any, anyone else. And you make us feel safe and that you're going to take care of us when we need it. And I was like, Whoa, that's a trip. And I have to, you know, I have to relate that to my core values, right? Because it, it reflects itself again. And there we go. You know, honesty, integrity, transparency. Yeah. You know, I, I call them out if they're not doing what they say they're going to do, or if they're not doing, if they're not acting the way that look. Well, you said this, but you're doing this. That's a conflict. How are you going to deal with that? You know, like, and they're like, "Wow, Steve, man, stop it!" You know, <laughs> you know. So it's 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 it may have to do in recent years, probably the last fifteen years that I've been working with the sacred feminine plant ayahuasca and i did that i've been doing it for 16 years and then i started working with the sacred um, sacred masculine plant 
San Pedro about five years ago, and that's the yin and the yang. So you have the, the you have well, you you know the spiritual people that are so spiritual that they can't hold down. They they don't have any money. They're just sort of like drifting around life. That's because they're not grounded, and that's what San, San Pedro does. San Pedro gives you the roots so that your wings can grow. There's a saying in German, ohne Wurzeln keine Flügel. So that means without roots, you have no wings. Because if you don't know where you're coming from, how you, how you can get to where you're going, right? There's no, there's no path. And so this, I believe that the strength that I have with that yin and yang or the masculine feminine, divine masculine, divine feminine may come from the plant medicine that I work with all these years. And it's, it's, and it's not like, well, it's going to get high. It's not like that at all. You know, it's, it's, we use it to facilitate growth. We use it to facilitate identity. We use it to facilitate purpose and certainty in life. It's all about the intention, man. It's all about the intention. I love it, man. I love it, dude. This has been an unbelievable conversation. I, I echo so much in everything that you're doing and I'm really pumped for this. Are you ready for the lightning round? Bam, 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 oh, here we go. Here we go. Uh-oh. I purposely, <laughs> right. purposely don't know the questions. Purposely. All right. You're ready, buddy. Yeah. I'm actually really excited to ask you this one, being who you are. What is your favorite restaurant? Where is it? And what is your order? Oh, I would just say it's uh, Tiganzi Attention. Tiganzi is a, a lake in Bavaria. I've been. Oh, you have? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So, so the first thing you use is you have a Tiganzi special draft beer. You can only get it there. It's I don't drink beer, but I drink beer when I go there. It's actually amazing. And of course, I order a haksa, which is a, a pork, I guess, shank, I guess mm-hmm. you would call it, with the big bone sticking out. And then you have the red sauerkraut and with a pear on the side. Yes. Oh, my is goodness. That, is that that little like outdoor restaurant that's right in Tiganzi that's like in the, I remember we ate something like that. It was like it was like under a trellis and like an outdoor space. We were There's there. a bunch of them there. Yeah, it's, sure it's right is. at the base of the mountain where yeah. everybody hang glides from or paraglides. Yeah, yeah. cool, yeah. man. That's cool. I love it. What is, <laughs> what is the? I had the best rotisserie chicken I've ever had in my life at Oktoberfest. Uh, that like Bavarian kind of like yeah. what's the name of that chicken? It's just rotisserie chicken. It's just rotisserie chicken, German. Yeah, and they have they have a breading on the outside, right? Like a fine, yeah, yeah, yeah it's rotisserie chicken. Yeah. That's a Bavarian. That's a Bavarian specialty. Yeah. Oh, I dream of that. All right. what content are you most into right now? Like this could be whose podcast you're listening to. It could be what book you just read. It could be your Netflix and chill series du jour or whatever. Well, what are you, what are you most consuming right now? Content wise? Well, I I don't really, I don't really watch TV at all. I I listen to audiobooks and meditate and read. Mm -hmm. And there's two books. Well, this book I've, I've actually read and listened to a few times is what you do is who you are by Ben Horowitz. Mm -hmm. Incredible book about company culture, how to create your business culture and it's an incredible book. What you do is who you are. Is I mean, I would highly suggest for anyone who has any kind of company at all. It doesn't 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 necessarily have to be, you know, a company that that has employees or whatever. But an, another one is, and, and I, I I use this for a lot of my clients. Is you're a badass at making money by Jen Jen Sincero. You're a badass at making money. And my absolute all time favorite book is The Inside Out Revolution by Michael Neal. Uh, the inside out revolution is an incredible book because it's about three hours long. You can listen to it in one sitting and it's like a deprogramming. You don't have to write things down, memorize anything. It's just like, it just deprograms you. It's amazing. <laughs> so when I get stuck in my head, I'll put that in and I'm good to go. Love it, dude. All right. What is something that you were sure about in your twenties that you no longer believe? Oh man, that's a question, isn't it? I don't know. I, I think I was sure that, you know, at 50 or 60, I'd retire and have this life and that kind of, you know, that, that has no meaning to me anymore. 
you know, has zero meaning to me anymore. I don't want to retire. I want to live a full life. And when you're not retired, it doesn't mean you're working all the time. It just means you're adding value, having an impact. So I, I, I was sure that, you know, just like everybody else when I was a kid, I was born in 1967. So I'm, you know, I'm 53. And so back then when you were 50, that was old. When you were 60, you were ancient. You know, my, my, my mother and my father are both 75 and they're still rocking and rolling. You know, my dad doesn't even have any gray hair, <laughs> you know? So, like yeah. It. Yeah, yeah. I like it. It never ends, man. I'm, nope. Listen, I, well, one of my mentors, Charles Oyster, he just died about two years ago, three years ago. As a matter of fact, I was on a plane to Peru and there was a, on the, on the onboard film, there was a documentary about uh, masters, sports people. So people over 60, 70, 80, and he was in there. It was right after he died. I was like, oh my God, he was one of my, one of my mentors. And he told me, he said, I said, man, you're 93 years old and you're competing in the long jump and bench press. What? You know, like how? And he goes, look, Stephen, the way to stay young, the way to stay vital, the way to stay uh, creative is to keep your frontal lobe active. That means you have to be creating new habits and new routines, learning every single day. Number one, number two, always be in competition with yourself. It's unhealthy to be in competition with other people because you can't measure yourselves against them. You can only measure yourself against your potential. And I was like, boom. You know, like, boom. Wow. Yeah. 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 He died. He oh, was 90, yeah. 95, I think. It was, the guy was crazy. I, I would fly him wherever I was as a consultant. I would fly him there as a, as a keynote speaker. He was totally not PC, right? Dirty, you know, rude, wrong, just everything. But he was old, so he got away with it, right? It was awesome. It was, it was so awesome. And he dressed immaculate because he was British, but he lived in Switzerland. See, we were like a pinstripe suit with a big pink tie and the big, you know, it was amazing. That was incredible. Look him up, Charles Oyster. I'm going to look him up. I was going to yeah. ask, man, is there, did he put out any content like a book or anything yeah. like that that people can yeah. get oh, familiar yeah. with him? Charles yes. Oyster. How, how do you spell Oyster. E U G S T E R. Oyster. Oyster. Okay. Oyster, yeah. German Oyster. Charles yeah, Oyster. Oyster. All right. Sweet, man. I'm going to check that out for sure. I love it, yeah. man. What's your favorite piece of advice either that you've ever received or your go to piece of advice that you're always giving people? Well, in, in business, it's never delegate the task. Or sorry, you only delegate the task, not the responsibility. So, you know, people say, hey, did you get that done? No, I told so-and-so to do it. Well, you're still responsible for it. Well, no, I told him to do it. Well, you're responsible for it. You know, you're, it's your responsibility. The task may not be yours, but it's your responsibility. That's the key thing. I think in personal life, own your shit, man. You don't own it. Don't, don't bullshit anybody. Don't play games. Don't try to wing, wing, wing. As soon as you start wiggling to try to make some space for your lies, you're, you're done. You know, it's just, just own your, own your mess ups. Just own them. I love it, man. I love it. Before I ask you your last question, this is your time to promote anything, right? Like I'm going to link to everything that you gave me, but you know, your, your course, your book, right. all that stuff. I'm going to link to it in the notes, but promote whatever you want to promote or put whatever you want on a pedestal right now. Where is, where's the next place that you would love to interact with people? This is your time. Well, the course, you can put the, the course link. I just literally just got it as we were sitting here, the course okay. link. It's a, it's actually a college accredited course mm -hmm. that goes along with their book, Unleash Your Humble Alpha. That's something that they can get. And then they have a, actually have a, a certification from an institution, an educational institution that's certified. Cool. So that's really cool. It's not like a Kajabi or ClickFunnels course. It's actually a college course, accredited college course. Number one. Number two is where we really have power and we really, really have impact is with those, those um, executives or business owners that are pivoting right now. Mm -hmm. And they need that next step. Like where can I go and be as powerful as I was in this old position? So anyone out there that's in that position or knows of anybody not in that position, just they can reach out to get us. One of the one of the one of the biggest places you can go right now is it's pivot.steven-coon.com. Pivot 
www.stephen-kuhn.com. And that'll have you, you can book a call. You see a little video that I make. If you qualify, you can give me a call and boom. Got it, man. I'll link to that in the show notes. Last question, Stephen, where do you find community? You know, I, I got to say, I'm, I live in Hungary. I had two friends here. Both of them died within the last year. So my community is online right here with you right now. You know, Zoom, this is where my community is. Of course, my family is very close. I have I have a gym community. I train every day. And uh, luckily, the gym is open here. So I have a community there. It's it's incredible here in, in Hungary. You walk in the gym, everybody shakes hands. Hello, how are you doing today? Good to see you. Look you in the eyes. They shake your hand. You're doing all right. You're doing all right. You're doing all... Every single person who walks in that gym shakes your hands. You know, it's just like, it's that respect that we miss in America or in England or Western world. You know, I feel like the Western world is going through a downturn and the, the, they're going to like catch up to where we've been all along. I don't say it's further ahead or whatever, but as far as that integrity goes and how we treat each other in these other countries, it's so much different. It's so different, you know, so much different. So, so different how we treat each other here. So I think my community is a gym, my family and online. We can I mean, dive into that whole European American yeah. thing in an entire whole episode. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I live in a village of 2000 people. That's awesome. Right? And in the middle of nowhere in Hungary, but it's only 30, 30 minutes from, from, from Budapest, but it's still in the middle of nowhere. And no one really knows what I do here because they see my car out front. I go to the gym in the morning, come back by nine o'clock. I'm back here and my car doesn't move all day. And they're like, what in the heck does he do? <laughs> I think the last rumor was I'm a money launderer or something. It was like, <laughs> I'm telling you, man, I, I I do see you as this like James Bond figure. So, oh, so mysterious. All. No, but yeah. Steven, honestly, man, like this has been, this has been a real pleasure, right? Like when we, when we connected on clubhouse and, and you reached out to me and, you know, I, I don't, I don't do a lot of this. I don't do a lot of most of the people I bring on my podcast are people that I know it's, it's people that I've grown a relationship with. Right. Something felt really different. The way that you reached out to me and reading your story was really, really fascinating and I, I'm just, I love, I love that the internet exists, right? Like I love that in 1993, there is no, there is no stage for an alpha male leader to be talking about vulnerability and transparency and integrity and all this stuff. But, you know, you have been on this message for a really, really long time. Yeah. You have been intuitively correct before it became popular. I think that archetype of the the sensitive male alpha, the humble alpha, how you call it, is something that needs to permeate masculinity much further. And it's really an honor to be able to like add a little bit to 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 getting through to people, man. So, well, it, and it's for women too. You know, oh, fifty percent of our readers, fifty percent of our readers are women. Yeah. You know, and it's and it's it's that humble on the on 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 the on the outside, powerful and alpha on the inside. Yeah. You know, typically it's like on the, it's like people are on the outside alphas and people alpha is is recognized as something aggressive. Yeah. Not at all. You know, you're alpha on the inside, man. You, just, you go out and get it, and make it happen. You are true to who you are. Integrity is at the highest level. But you don't have to tell anybody about it because they feel it. You don't have to you don't have to talk about it because they see it. You see what I'm saying? It's not it's not it's not the words, it's the actions. Makes sense to me. And I know a lot of women that are like that, right? So, oh, yeah. so I, I, yeah. I, again, I, when, I, when I say permeate masculinity, I mean it from both ends, right? Right. I, okay. Sorry. Yeah. I think we've lived in this very masculine kind of like dominated world of these values and we need these values to be more balanced, man. Oh, yeah, and I, definitely. And I love the balance that you're bringing into the force. So thank you for this opportunity. Ayahuasca and San Pedro. Any, anyone who's interested, Ayahuasca and San Pedro. Man. <laughs> <All right. laughs> awesome, man. Yeah. Right on. 
the key to building your relationship flywheel will rely in your ability to design and build your own stage where you can have conversations with people, getting to know them, understanding their value, and sharing it to the world. This is the service that I offer, and I offer it to $100 million companies where we're setting record-breaking sales goals with it. If you want to know more about that, go to connectwithpablo.com. If you're just an individual that wants to build it, subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to my email list on my website because coming soon is a community where I'm going to teach this to you personally. Go to connectwithpablo.com.